budding lawyers welcome to the podcast today we have with us miss malvika rao hi malvika hi prasanna malvika holds a bllb degree from christ university in bangalore and an llm degree in environmental energy and clean technology law from the university of california berkeley currently she is a phd candidate in international law at the graduate institute of international and development studies geneva and a holder of the swiss government excellent scholarship 2019 she is also working there as a teaching assistant okay uh, so that was a long introduction <laughs> so malvika um, let's start from your llb and llm uh, so did you you did your bachelor's from india and masters from the us so did you decide it much early or and planned accordingly or it was something quite sudden Uh, so i did my undergrad from christ university bangalore and i did my masters from uc berkeley in california um the process of doing um it from india and then switching to the us was something that i picked up in the third year of my um undergrad degree um so we had this i remember we had this course on environmental law which was a basic introduction to some of the main laws that we have the environmental protection act and uh some of the constitutional uh provisions related to it uh and what i felt was uh was lacking was that there wasn't any clear direction and also clear precedence of you know having expertise in environmental law at the university that i studied so i started reading stuff outside of my classes and then um this got me interested and i decided to pursue it in the us Uh, and the reason for choosing us was mostly because um environmental law was something that we have also picked up from the us like the basic principles and it's um, pretty much advanced there so yeah okay so when did you exactly decide in which year you were towards i, I would say out of my five year program in the fourth year so i gave myself a year and a half to prep for it Hmm. And there would have been many things you you have to do when you have to go abroad for studies. Uh, so yeah. can you just guide uh, our listeners? Uh, I mean, how did you plan, and what all things are there to do? So the first thing that I looked at was the programs itself. So I looked at um, colleges that have programs or LLM degrees in environmental law specifically. I was quite interested in energy law as well. So I looked at colleges with these two now once i looked at the programs i and and i i tried to list out universities so i looked at about six or seven universities i would say and most of them were in the us because uh, i was leaning towards the us but i also did apply to nus and i think i applied to um, lse uh, in the uk so these were the universities that i looked at um and the application process yes it is quite tedious uh, especially for undergrad students because it was when i did it it was my first time and my first experience and there was nobody to help me so what i did with the uh, thing was for the us universities you have a common admission portal which is called the lsat so you upload all your documents there and you do it through that and for uk and singapore i did it individually so you need to look at their individual application procedures and then do it um through them so for uk also there is no such a common entrance test or a website you, through which you can apply to most of the universities in uk you have to apply it individually uh, to each university no. yeah so if you're applying to the university of cambridge you have to do it through their portal 
if you have to Oxford, then there's LSE, you have a separate application. Okay. So maybe <laughs> you may need a step, uh, assistant kind of thing to manage all the, because there will be so many applications if you are, I mean, if your uh, like percentage of getting into a college is not so much, then you have to keep your plans open to many colleges, right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's a very um, tricky thing that you have to understand in the beginning. So uh, I actually did this with a friend who was also planning to apply. So what we did was that we put, um, we graded them according to our interests. So colleges like UC Berkeley, I also applied to Cornell uh, and I applied to uh, Columbia. So these three were like the top universities. And then I applied to tier two universities and other universities where it, you think that it's not that difficult to get into. So it, it's good to have a mix of colleges you can have dream colleges. It can be Cambridge, Oxford, Harvard um, at one level, but you also need to be realistic, uh, not just your abilities, of course, but also about the application pool, uh, which has thousands of applications. So have a good mix of colleges and, uh, you know, keep, um, be aware of all the deadlines, I would say. Okay. And uh, how many, like, how did you get into University of California? Like you had options available or that was the only one university? I had options available. Um, I had quite a few options available actually, but um, when it came down to selecting the college that I wanted to go to, um, I first narrowed down the place. So I wanted to go to US. So naturally UK and um, Singapore, I was not that interested in. Uh, but even in the US, it was quite tricky because I got um, an admit from another university called Lewis and Clark, which has a great environmental law program uh, in Portland. And they offered me a huge scholarship. So it was quite tricky. But towards the end, it came to, you know, looking at the program, looking at the college brand and prestige and uh, the rankings. So it was a personal decision in the end. Yeah. Um, and UC Berkeley, one of the... Uh, striking features about that is that it's in the Bay Area, which now has a growing um, network of environmental organizations. So I had kind of thought that, okay, once I finish the LLM, um, you know, uh, looking for jobs would be easier. So that's one of the reasons why I chose California. Okay. So uh, how you, you talked about the rankings. So which is a authentic website to look up for the university rankings? Yeah. So for US, you have US law school rankings, uh, which they update every year. Uh, you can do it by subject and the general uh, rankings of the law schools. Um, and then you also have QS rankings, which is um, you know, worldwide. So you have UK listings and then also US. So these two are good. Mm -hmm. Okay. You chose uh, the states. I mean, it's quite interesting because the legal system which we have is inherited from the like British so UK so the common law system which is very similar there so I have heard like people prefer to get a master's from UK than US is it right or it, it's true because I feel like most people who want to do LLMs uh, uh, also want to do it in uh, subjects that are you know criminal law or civil procedure or comparative constitution. So all the traditional, traditionally oriented uh, subjects are something that, uh, which I would say UK is a better fit for those kind of subjects. But if you're looking at, let's say, environmental law, energy or IP for that matter, 
um, I think the, all of these contemporary issues are, um, you know, uh, it's better to do it from the US, I would say. Okay, makes sense. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, particularly to my subject, I would say that for environmental law, most of the principles that um, you know, are embedded into international law as well, international environmental law, come from U.S. litigation. So, because U.S. has a great history of being, you know, a polluter and all of those things, you have those principles which come from there. So, it's a good place to be in if you want to do this subject. Okay. So, you have your master's in environmental energy and clean technology law. So, now you are in international law. So what are your plans for the future? I mean, are you looking for some job in a sector which has a mix of both? Maybe I think for some United Nations organization working in this field, right? Yeah. Um, so I did my master's in environmental and energy. Uh, but I would say like my broader ambition is in public interest where all of these things fit into. And I was also gravitating towards human rights. Um, this happened when I started working for a year and a half after my um, master's and I worked in a public interest um, uh, litigation field at an organization in San Francisco called uh, the Utility Reform Network. So what I tried to do was that I wanted to move towards academia, but I also wanted to look into this space. Um, so international law for me right now, I'm looking at these issues, but I'm also looking at human rights and looking at migration. So it's a broad, um, um, you know, I would say broad group of areas which fall into this whole public interest. Um, as far as jobs go for me, I'm interested in academia. Um, one of the reasons, main reasons why I'm doing a PhD in international law is also to get into academia, probably assistant professorships um, or research positions. But apart from that, yes, uh, the, right now in Geneva, I'm based in Geneva. And there is a huge network of international organizations which offer consultancies and traineeships uh, for interested law students. So hopefully a mix of these two. And I think that would give me a, a balance between research and also putting myself out in an organizational setup. Interesting. Uh, are there any courses available in India like the course which you did in Geneva? At the time that I wanted to, um, no, there weren't. But recently, I think as of this, as of last year, 2020, um, Jindal has uh, started this LLM program in environmental law and climate change. And you have, I think it's done under Professor Armin Rosenkrantz, and which I think most law students would know because that's like the basic textbook we have by him for environmental law. I've heard it's a good program and I've heard it's been taught by Professor Armin Rosenkrantz um, and they have a, a great faculty which is concentrated in this area so i would okay. look at that program yeah so let me get back to this uh, it was just uh, revolving in my mind like uh, uk and us law about so if one wants to do his masters from like abroad uh, so how should one choose and what are the basic differences between both of it like you covered some part of it before but can you uh, explain it more so um, there are also procedural differences um, I would say that when you go to the U.S. You, and you want to work in the U.S. Uh, after a one-year program, you need to write the bar exam. So for international students, you can either write the California bar exam or the New York bar exam. Uh, and then you need to clear this to be able to uh, apply for attorney positions. For uh, 
the UK. I think they have an entrance exam and a three-year barrister training program. So it's a different track altogether. Um, and I think also there are some logistical limitations for Indian students. Uh, at the time that I went, uh, people said that the US um, uh, restrictions were far less than the UK ones. And a lot of the students who went to do LLMs in the UK had to come back. But I think, I believe things have changed a little bit. So it would be interesting. I mean, on one hand, yes, you have a passion and a drive to do something in, at a good program. But being an international student, I think it's also good to be cautious of what your limitations are. So look at, um, you know, bar um, enrollments and how it's done and where your chances are more. Okay. And I have heard some exam named the QLTS. Is it for UK? I, I'm sure it's for the UK because for um, the US, you have it, you have the bar exam, the state bar exams that you have to write. Hmm. Okay. I just it just came to my mind because even that exam is a bit lengthier than other bar yeah. exams. I think it's in three or four phases. Yeah. So for US at the time when I did it, um, so my program was for a year, and then you get an extension for the visa for six months, where most students plan to uh, study for the bar exams, and it's usually held twice a year, once in Feb, and the other one, if I'm not mistaken, in October or July. So um, you have to make sure that you take and enroll for these um, if you want to stand the chance for any of the long-term positions. Okay. And uh, within that six-month period, you also need a placement, right? Otherwise, uh, you can't like stay there. Yeah. I mean, internships, research positions at the universities mainly, or um, you also have these job fairs during your um, course that universities, most US universities uh, have. Uh, so probably there you would find a placement. Mm. Okay. Uh, tell us something about your scholarship. Uh, how did you get that? And I mean, can you prepare for it before if one is planning to do his uh, studies abroad? So the scholarship that I got is called the FCS scholarship, which is the Swiss government scholarship for excellence. And um, no, I did not plan for this scholarship. When I went to, um, when I started the PhD program, I got the scholarship from the Institute, which is my university. But um, in the second year, I was, um, it was recommended to me that I apply for this. So um, this is con um, considered a prestigious scholarship and um, one student from one country, every country is selected um, every year for this. And the process of application for this is to the embassy. So I had to apply to the Swiss embassy in New Delhi first, and I got selected there. And from there, my application was forwarded to Bern, and there was a second round, and then finally the Federal Council of Switzerland chose. So it's a group of well-knit group of 30 students from all over the world. And uh, it's, it's nice if people are considering applying to uh, colleges in Switzerland, you should definitely look at this. And um, I, I think that people who are applying um, to colleges can do it with their application. So it would be a good uh, way to start for Indian students. And what was the eligibility? And uh, how, like, how, how many people, if you know, how many people applied from India and you got selected? Right? I don't know that. They never disclose that uh, okay. information. But yeah, so um, the eligibility is that it has to be your first uh, program or first degree in Switzerland, and you should have just arrived in Switzerland. 
So people living in India who are planning to go to Switzerland uh, are eligible and you have to be enrolled in a universe, Swiss university. Okay. And while choosing the applicant, um, they would have mm -hmm. seen your track record of one year as you were studying there, right? Yeah, they would have seen that. And uh, apart from the procedural thing, I think the main thing is uh, academic excellence. So you have to keep up like good grades throughout and, you know, your master's and undergrad. So it's something, it's the meritorious uh, scholarship that is uh, given to recognize academic excellence. Okay. So uh, do you know any other scholarships? I think uh, I have heard some of them, uh, which like people start preparing I think uh, more than a year before uh, they actually start their ma master's program, master's or whatever, right? So do you know any of the, mm -hmm. those scholarships? So I, uh, for the master's level, actually, it's more the university scholarships that I give them. So if you're applying, let's say for US universities, in your application uh, package, you will have you know, um, an option of applying for their scholarships. And every university, let's say in the US, has about 10 to 15 scholarships, um, which are named after and given by, you know, donors and, um, you know, granted to them by different foundations. So you apply to them uh, as a whole. And if you are eligible for any of those, then they give you the scholarships. For the Swiss um, program that I'm doing, the master's students that are here, I think um, uh, the scholarships are given again by the institute. So they have their own way of evaluating it with your application. So for master's programs, it's mostly at the time of application that you make a separate application within the package for scholarships. Mm -hmm. And that is one thing is good that you can apply to scholarships even after enrolling into the program a year later or two years. Yeah, yeah. And if it's for PhD students, you have a lot of grants coming up throughout your PhD. So it's something that you need to keep an eye out for and apply for those that you think uh, you would be wanting to consider. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so is there any point uh, in doing an LLM from a foreign university if uh, one actually wants to work in India uh, and especially into litigation? So I've heard, I mean, my experience and my friends who have done LLMs, I have a very mixed reaction. Um, so. My, a lot of my friends say, you know, if you're practicing, you know, let's say civil litigation or criminal litigation in India, the LLM in itself hasn't helped them a lot. So because when they came back here and they wanted to start jobs in law, they had to anyway start from scratch because you need to understand the procedure of courts here. And it doesn't really make uh, any difference if you have theoretical understanding. But let's say you want to apply for think tanks or, you know, specialized fields like IP or environmental law then I think a theoretical understanding is in itself an advantage because there aren't many people out there who are planning these things and working in these areas. So for me, I would say that if I had to, if I just jumped into, let's say, environmental litigation at one of the law firms in Delhi after my undergrad, I think that I wouldn't have had this kind of an understanding of how things work globally because this subject has a lot of ramifications from what happens internationally, let's say like the Paris targets or, you know, sustainable development goals, things like that, I wouldn't have known. But an LLM in this field would definitely help enhance your understanding. Yeah, 
agree i mean uh, especially for litigation i think it won't make any sense but if you are mm-hmm. planning for some other um, things like think tanks and all it will yeah help a lot yeah and teaching i mean one of the reasons why people also do llms uh, is because now it's become a requirement for pe- uh, for people if you want uh, assistant professorship yeah so because it's one of the requirements for assistant professorships nowadays at even indian universities um as per ugc guidelines so i think you need to have an llm degree so an llm degree definitely plays an advantage if you are looking at academic and research jobs hmm so uh, is there any edge that you get over other people uh, who haven't done an llm specifically if you are looking for a job at law firms yeah i think so because i think that um, one is that the salaries are higher um and i also think that um the level of entry entry level if you have had prior experience let's say 2 years of experience before you go and do your llm and then you come back i think that the level of entry is much higher so you would be rec- recruited in higher positions um and i think it also has an advantage if you are looking for diversity in jobs right so because i did the llm outside i was able to work outside and i think that experience that i had outside of india would probably have a lot more weightage when i come back and i want to apply for so an llm i think is an experience that way you need to think of changing tracks and looking at things which are not in the ordinarily um, you know um, way that you have it in india and you go out discover things and come back and probably you'll have a more enriched hmm. education and employment um so if one is if one doesn't want to do his masters okay and he wants to work in us can he do it like completing his llb in india and going there and clearing the bar exam and start working there so i think that for um, wo- working directly from after getting a degree in india um, in a foreign country i don't think it's possible uh, to my knowledge because you don't have any sort of compa- com- competitive advantage when you're applying to a job there um nor do you have a background in understanding their laws so i don't think that it's a possible and viable option to tr- try and plan your career in another country after doing an undergrad in india okay uh, how how much is the minimum gpa uh, required for securing a place in a top law school in us so um the gpa requirements for indian law schools are different because in christ university what we had was different from nls um and it's different from the other universities so at here the law school admission test which was the common admission portal for us law schools um so in that they translate your gpas as far as i know you need to be in the top 5 10% of your batch in india to be able to um, get into a good law school so a good rank law school so i would say more than the gpa it's uh, where you stand in your class so have a good ranking and be a consistent um, academic achiever okay okay so uh, this is one question i think everyone must be having uh, when they, uh, those who are planning to apply abroad uh, sop uh, is one of the document which i heard is very important when you apply for a course anywhere abroad um is that true and if yes what should be kept in mind while writing a sop like while making a good sop and how to make yours um, stand out from 
other SOPs? So an SOP is, um, it's just a document that, it's the only document that law school admission um, people have to kind of gauge who you are and you know what you have done in the past and whether you would be a good fit for their program. So an SOP, I would say be very creative about it. It has to tell them what you're interested in and why you're interested in this specific program. Show good level of research of you know the different faculty at the universities, who you're interested to study under, who you want to write your thesis with, um, what you're really interested in doing there, working at clinics, uh, doing internships, or you know whether it's moot courts, things like that. And apart from that, it's also a way in which you have to tell them what your future plans are. So if you're looking to work specifically in, in the place, do you want to take that knowledge back home and work back in, in law firms in India? Things like that. So apart from your transcripts, apart from your grades and your previous experience experiences, it's a good outlet to tell them what exactly your career ambitions are. Hmm. Okay. Okay, so I think this question would be somewhat more interesting to you because you're working there as a teaching assistant uh, for, mm -hmm. I think, more than a year. Uh, so can you share some of your experience with regard to your first year of work as a PhD scholar and your, as a teaching assistant too? Mm -hmm. So the first year of the PhD scholar, uh, PhD um, program, I would say is an extension of your master's. So you have coursework but you have like only two or three which you will take in the areas of your PhD expertise. So it's, uh, you do those courses and on the other hand, it's, a, it's the year in which you develop your proposal completely. So you outline chapters and uh, you, you know what exactly your research areas are, your focus, uh, defining what your research question is. I would say it's the most difficult year one, because you're suddenly thrown into this new environment where you have to work by yourself. And there's, the guidance is to a minimal level because you're, they consider you to already have done your master's and you know have a legal education. But on the other hand, it's also the most exciting because you have you know, the opportunity to look and read basically anything to kind of come up with a research question. So the first year was really interesting. And uh, I started um, doing my teaching uh, assistantship in the second year. Um, and uh, that's a very good um, you know, opportunity that I got because I am assisting professors who have 30 and 40 years of experience in, in subjects for master's students. So the level of you know, um, competitiveness is high. And um, it's, it's nice. It's, uh, I, so I've been uh, assisting subjects in migration law, in environmental law, climate change, um, research design and methodologies. So these are some of the courses that I'm doing. It's very exciting. Okay. So uh, for, I think for your thesis, uh, you have to uh, select a particular topic and uh, do some re dedicated research regarding that. So have you decided it and I, what, what topic is it? Can you disclose? Yeah, so I'm in the third year of my PhD. So um, I am in the process of writing chapters now and um, I have decided on my topic. It's in the area of um, refugee law and human rights. 
Um, so I'm looking at this principle called non-refoulement, um, which is the principle in international refugee law, and it applies to um, groups of forced migrants. So if um, a forced migrant or a refugee uh, enters the territory of another country, um, so rules of international law dictate that they cannot be sent back if they have a threat to their life and livelihood. So if they're being persecuted. So I'm applying this principle to look at hunger and starvation. So um, it, so the areas of law that I'm looking at, at uh, refugee law, a bit of environmental law, human rights law, and humanitarian law. So it's overarching um, and uh, it's going to take some time <laughs> to write. Okay, yeah, it's very deep. <laughs> okay. Uh... <laughs> Over to our last question, Maluka. Uh, please share an incident from your career which is very memorable to you. Um, I would say it's also, I would like to pick out one, which a couple of them actually. Um, one in the US when I was working right after my master's degree and um, I had to do evidentiary hearings before the California Public Utilities Commission. So that was very new to me and it was very challenging because I was in a completely new legal setup and I had to kind of adapt to it, you know, on my feet. So that was one. And the second, uh, during my PhD, I just published a paper um, in the Refugee Survey Quarterly uh, by the Oxford uh, University Press. And this is very exciting because once you get into this PhD grind, uh, you need to work and research independently so the fruits of your work are seen in publications and uh, this is something that's very uh, memorable yeah i mean uh, uh, you said oxford right oxford university press one of yeah. the so <laughs> getting published there it's a great achievement congratulations <laughs> long way to go yeah Okay, thanks Malvika for this informative conversation and sharing your experience with us. Thank you, Prasanna. It was a pleasure to be here. So yeah, uh, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you like this episode, then you must also check out our other episodes available here and follow us here so that you don't miss out a new episode. Thank you.